It's one of my favorite hymns, one of my favorite uh, memories when our daughter Tabitha was really little and, and we'd go into Lake Michigan on a wavy day, you know that, get the picture, and we, we'd sing this hymn as the waves pound on us, oh the deep, deep, I have no idea why I'm telling you this right now. Uh, on Monday, I had the, uh, I mean, really stunning honor to sit with Ron Geshwind. Anybody know the name Ron Geshwind? When I, when I was a little kid, he was like a, a pastoral icon, like a Marvel character, a hero in these parts. Um, his, with his wife Jan, they've been married for decades now. She fell and broke her hip on Sunday, had surgery on Tuesday, the same hip she broke about six months ago and redid the same surgery. So if you're thinking about Ron and Jan, please keep them in your prayers. So uh, I was with Ron on Monday, 85 years old, uh, about 10 years ago, diagnosed with Parkinson's, um, that disease that slowly takes from you. It's the slow process of loss, loss of dexterity, loss of strength, uh, loss of memory. He's over at the atrium at Royal Park in Zealand. Jan's still in their condo east of Holland. Uh, Made my way to his room 205. The door was slightly ajar. I knocked anyway. There was a a bed, kind of a hospital-style bed with a a bedside lamp stand and then a recliner. dining room table with a half-completed puzzle on it, a John Grisham novel in his Bible. Uh, he was sitting in the Lazy Boy watching Liverpool play Leeds in soccer. Well, here's a picture of Ron watching the game. Jonathan Gabhart loves Liverpool, so I had to take the picture. So Jonathan, this is what I do for a living. I go visit people and watch soccer. <laughs> I'm like, it's very hard being a pastor. When Liverpool was up one to nothing, I snuck in a few questions, uh, the responses to which I think you'll want to hear. If there's time, I'll tell you a little bit later. Now, this is the third Sunday in the season of Eastertide. Uh, Eastertide, that season of the year we set aside to celebrate Christ's resurrection from the dead and all of its ramifications on our lives and in the whole world. The Easter eggs may have been hunted, but we're still celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The phrase we're gathering around during this season of Eastertide is alive together with Christ. It's from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. It sounds like this in Greek. Uh, maybe Rachel will throw it up there. Sunazoapoiesin. That's a mouthful, isn't it? And I realize it means a whole lot of nothing. To most of us, sunazo apoyesin is the root word is uh, zo apoyeo, which means made alive, and soon is the prefix which means with, so made alive with, which I, I'm trying to make the point here. You're not made alive like Christ, as if Christ was some sort of example of what will happen to you one day if you play your cards right, but you're made alive with Christ. Through the doing and the dying and the rising and reigning of Jesus Christ from the dead, you're made alive with him. So whatever else you think is true of you, you're alive with Christ. So whatever else is going on in the world swirling that might leave you breathless with with frustration, that's not all that's true, the swirling realities of our world. You're made alive with Christ. 
As you make complicated decisions and you engage with people you're not always like, you're, you're alive with Christ. I would have thought someone would have said amen somewhere. And you still don't say amen. It's shocking to me. So thank you, Luis, my friend. So listen with me to the verses that surround our phrase, alive together with Christ. You were dead through your trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, the spirit of the power of air that's now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them, following the passions of the flesh, the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else, but... when you were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so in the age to come he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. Not the result of works that no one may boast, but a gift from God. For we are what he made us created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Amen? Amen. Man, that's the gospel. There it is, right there. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Take a picture of it and look at it every day. You were dead, it starts, but God, it continues, created us in Christ Jesus for good works. How about we maneuver our way through a sermon that way? You were dead. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, just inviting a little honesty. You were dead. Paul doesn't, Paul, the author of Ephesians, doesn't feel the need to like soften the blow. <laughs> you were dead. Apparently, not everybody gets a blue ribbon. I guess we're not handing out trophies to everybody. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Have you heard this phrase, moralistic therapeutic deism? It sounds like a disease, doesn't it? Moralistic. That's, that's the way uh, sociologists of religion describe Christianity in America. <laughs> moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, be nice. Therapeutic, feel good about yourself. Deism, believe in something. And Paul's like, wrong. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Uh, we, we spend a lot, of, there's a lot of shame talk in our culture. Uh, have you noticed this? We talk about shame a lot, probably because we carry a lot of it. Uh, I have a 17-year-old, 15-year-old, and 13-year-old, 6-year-old too, but she's not quite there yet. The 17, 15, and 13-year-old, if I tell them maybe to put on another layer of clothing or maybe they, they've had enough ice cream, you know what they say to me? Don't shame me. 
spent all kinds of time talking about shame, and for good reasons we resist it. There's, there's, I'm not the expert in all of this, but there's like, you can read Pandora's Problem if you want to you know, dig a little deeper. There's, there's at least two kinds of shame. There's a healthy shame, and then there's a toxic shame. My friend Brett was telling me about this earlier this week. A healthy shame is like when, when you're about to walk into the street into oncoming traffic and someone yells, Brett, stop! You might feel shame, but that's a whole lot better than walking into oncoming traffic. It's a healthy shame. The toxic shame are the lies we believe about ourselves and we tell ourselves repeatedly. Like you get a B plus on your test and you think to yourself, you say to yourself, I'm dumb. It's toxic shame. Or your intention with a, with a friend and you think, nobody likes me. Toxic shame. Our resistance, and appropriately so, to toxic shame, we've sort of thrown out the baby with the bathwater and now we sort of resist any kind of shame. Healthy shame too, with its associated guilt. So now we live in a moment where you can't tell anyone what's right or wrong. You can't say anything. I don't want to shame you. So now the cultural mantra is you do you. Create your own adventure. And Paul's like, no, you were dead. Are you with me? Let me ratchet this down several thousand levels. Uh, my daughter, Ava, you'll hear her before you see her. She is, I mean, there are not enough words in the English language for me to use to tell you how much I love Ava. She is spectacular. She will run something someday, so you may want to hire her now just to get, it, just to get ahead of it all. Uh, we have a dog, Samson, who's about as big as Ava, probably bigger, actually. Here's a picture of Ava and Samson. <laughs> Ava loves Samson. Samson's not so sure about Ava because of the things that she'll do, so she wants a cat. We are not getting a cat. I'm not shaming cat people. I'm just not a cat guy. But she wants something smaller she can cuddle and hold and play with. So instead, we got her a hamster. We got her two hamsters, actually, Ralph and Squishy, only to realize that you can't have two hamsters in the same cage. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. So we brought Ralph back, and now we have Squishy. Uh, here's a picture of Ava with Squishy. She loves little Squishy. She loves to cuddle him and hold him and play with him. We take, take family hikes, and she wants to bring Squishy. We set the table for dinner, and she sets a plate for Squishy. She loves Squishy. Her love for him is equaled by my disdain for that thing. I can't stand Squishy. <laughs> squishy got out of the cage or whatever the thing is once, well, actually several times, and of course I'm the one who had nothing to do with Squishy getting out, but I'm the one who's got to go find Squishy. And one time when I caught him, he bit me. And I have not talked to Squishy since. <laughs> I can't stand Squishy, but I love Ava. Well, I was gone. We were, I don't know what happened, but I went into Ava's room. This was a couple of weeks ago. Squishy was on his back. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Squishy was on his back, stiff appendages, his teeth protruding from his mouth. Squishy was gone. Squishy died. Ava didn't know about it, and I wasn't sure how to tell her about it, so I spent the afternoon trying to hide it from her. Getting creative in all of the different ways I could soften the blow of Squishy's demise. But there's no other way around it. Squishy was dead. I had to tell her. 
Squishy's gone, Aves. She was devastated. Oh, man, it was terrible. We had a little funeral. Buried Squishy. She put a peace rock. Everybody said kind words about Squishy. I didn't have much to say. (laughs) No matter how creative we try to be in avoiding the reality of our lives, at a certain point, you just have to be honest with yourself. At least Paul's inviting us into honesty. You're dead. We're not trying to shame anybody. We're actually trying to free you. You can't undead yourself, but if you can name the reality of your life, God, but God, that's how it continues, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. My Ava's calling me right now. I guarantee you she's at home watching the service online. <laughs> I'm not answering it, though. I'm not gonna... <laughs> you were dead is the invitation into honesty. But God, that's the whole gospel. Two words. You could take your Bible, say Holy Bible, subtitled, but God. That's the whole story. Way back in the way backiest of beginnings, God made the world and he said, it's so good, but something so sad happened. They took of the fruit they were told would break their hearts. Actually, what it says, in the day that you eat of it, you'll die. And they ate it anyway, and death became the reality. But God shows up to the first man and the first woman and clothes them from the shame of their nakedness. Cain, their boy, kills their son, Abel. But God marks Cain so that no one will hurt him. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. But God, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But God, and and David steals Bathsheba and kills Uriah. But God, Peter denies Christ, but God, it's the whole gospel, but God, who's rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins, every one of them. You name it, if you dare, but God. Uh, there's uh, Anna Erickson's preaching over at the warehouse this morning. Same passage. Uh, she's quoting Frederick Beekner. She sent me the quote, and I'm flat out stealing it. <laughs> After centuries of handling and mishandling, most religious words have become so shopworn, nobody's much interested anymore. Not so with grace. For some reason, grace is something you can, for some reason, grace is something you can never get but can only be given. A crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There is nothing you have to do. Beekner says there's nothing you have to do. Paul says there's nothing you can do. You were dead. You can't undead yourself. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. I just think it's amazing. You were dead, but God created us in Christ Jesus for good works. Grace is not permission. You know what I'm saying? It's not a free pass to go back doing all the things you've been doing. You're made for good works. People like me love to talk about that passage in Genesis. I think it's uh, chapter 1, verse 27. We're made in the image of God. 
You walk around carrying the image of God, which is stunning when you stop to think about it, but this is equally stunning. You were made for good works. In this way, you dehumanize your own self when you fail to do good. You objectify yourself. You make yourself something other than you are. So for all of the energy and time we we take to hide our own brokenness and shame, what what if we just embrace the reality that we're dead but God and spend all of our time and energy wondering how can we do good? Who can we bless? What word can we say? What action can we offer? What thing can we do for good? That's what you made for. I just think that's remarkable. So here, I think this would be, we got a couple minutes left. I think you should take some time right now, while you're sitting there, or online, or in the gathering, whatever, what one thing are you going to do today that's good? You know, like send the texts, make the call, be generous, whatever it is, one thing, and let it be like practice for the, a way of life. This is who you are. So I was with Ron on uh, Monday. Jan had fallen on Sunday. Surgery was Tuesday. Uh, I think it was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon we were together. Such a good guy. So I'm, I, I, I met him really after Parkinson's had begun to do its work in his life, that slow process of loss. Uh, but back in the day when I was a kid, the guy was like, like an icon. So I texted my dad, who knew him in his prime, and said, hey, can you tell me a little bit about Ron Geshwin? And this was my dad's text back. I do not have his permission to share this, but God, who's rich in mercy. (laughs) If he were a character in Pilgrim's Progress, he would be valiant for the truth. If he were an Old Testament character, he'd be Elijah. If he were a New Testament character, clearly one of the sons of thunder. If an early church character, John Chrysostom, known as the Golden Mouth. If a reformer, Ulrich Zwingli. A theologian as fearless as William Wallace. Ron Geshwin. They started coming to Pillar a few years ago. They'd sit like in the fourth or fifth row right about there. Ron Geshwin. Parkinson's been doing what it's doing. I went to visit him on Monday, uh, watching Liverpool. Liverpool's up one nothing, so I could slip in a few questions. Uh, so we, he has good days and he has bad days, and this happened to be one of the really good days. So we're having a good conversation. His mind is uh, coherent, or, or the mumbling is less. He gets really emotional at, at no signal. He blames it on the Parkinson's. We, we talked about his kids and his grandkids, and then at one point I asked him, do you ever think about your preaching life? And it was like the fog of Parkinson's just disappeared. And he shot back, yes. I said, if you had one more sermon, what passage would you preach? He said, John 14. That's the I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I said to him, well, what would it be about? I love this. He got all kinds of emotional, blamed it on the Parkinson's, but I didn't believe him. He 
said something about grace. 85 years old. Parkinson's doing its thing. The man wants to talk about grace. The preacher wants to shout, grace, grace, but God. Not a free pass, but an invitation, the wind in our sails that sends us out in the world for good. That's who you are. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.